following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Good evening and welcome to Talk of the Neighborhoods and a Happy New Year to all of you after a brief uh, holiday break. Uh, I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you live from the BNN studios in Eggleston Square. Tonight, also being simulcast on our sister radio station, uh, WBCA 102.9 FM. We have a terrific show tonight. First up, the newly elected president of the Boston City Council, Ruthie Louis-Jean, joins us to talk about her goals uh, for the, really the next two years as uh, she uh, was unanimously elected by her colleagues on New Year's and will lead the council going forward uh, after a tumultuous year last year. Then in the second half, we'll shift gears, of course. The uh, New Hampshire primary is right around the corner, less than a week away. Joining us tonight, two local Republican activists, and we'll see how they feel about uh, Iowa and uh, upcoming New Hampshire and, of course, the Massachusetts uh, primary on Super Tuesday. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhoods. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back with Talking the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host. Tonight, a two-part show. First up tonight, I'm very pleased to have joining me the newly elected president of the Boston City Council. Uh, just uh, after New Year's, uh, she was unanimously elected by her colleagues to uh, uh, direct and head up the council for the next, well, really two years. So it's a two-year term. I'm talking, of course, about uh, Ruthie Louis-Jean. And uh, Counselor, so nice to have you here. Madam President, I should say, <laughs> oh, right? I gotta, gotta get that right. Yeah, it's great being here. Yeah, great to yeah, be here no, with thank, you. Thank you how, for having me on. Yeah. So, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Where I think is it today's January 18th. Yes, We're 18 yes. days into my presidency. <laughs> you know, we had the inauguration and the vote oh, on January 1st, yes. which was a 
jolting way to bring in the new year, but I'm I'm just really incredibly grateful to yeah. my colleagues for the opportunity to lead and you know, we have a great city. We yeah. have, I love this city so much and the opportunity to not only lead as an at-large city councilor, but to lead the body and help shape the agenda and the tone and tenor for all of our residents, all 700,000 of all of you. Um, I, I just, mm -hmm. it's an incredible honor. Well, of course, uh, and you need the approval of just 13 of those. Uh, yes. How did you manage to convince them unanimously as well? Uh, I know there's always a little, uh, well, some people would call it rather incestuous process. Yes, uh, yes, internal it is. Internal uh, politicking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what was your, uh, how did you convince them to get behind you? Well, what's interesting, Joe, is you don't actually need a unanimous vote. Yeah. You, a simple majority is enough That's of seven, seven of your right? colleagues. Yeah. But I'm really grateful that I was able to get the vote of every single one, myself and my 12 colleagues, um, so that I could be the president. And I just think it's like how I how I move already as, an, as, as, a, as a president. We've had... We've had trainings today. We had an amazing, uh, two amazing training sessions that were uh, attended by both uh, staff members and colleagues. We've had a city council celebration, celebrating my inauguration as president, but also celebrating everyone. And mm -hmm. I trying to make sure that we do things as a body. We go and we grab lunch together, that we can talk to each other. We have our doors open. Mm -hmm. uh, my office, city council president, we have two doors where we can, where we're not in a meeting. We keep both doors open. Wow. Uh, we have a couch. It's an inviting atmosphere. And we're just happy to be at work. I, I've been talking to central staff who really are the, the the foundation of city council, the staff, not for any councilor, but of the city council, and right. excited for to set a new tone of positivity and collegiality. Well, I I think you showed, uh, for whatever my opinions worth, a lot of leadership during the redistricting uh, Brackets, <laughs> I guess, as a word for <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, yes, how, yes. How shall we put it? But. Uh, uh, you know, it was a rough year last year. I mean, and uh, you, you and I talked about this before when you mm -hmm. were you were here last fall. But uh, uh, have, have, has the council turned the page on on some of that? Now, I, there's a lot of new members. Yes, now. yes. Four new members, if yes. I recall correctly. Yes, yeah. Enrique Pepin, Henry Santana, John Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. Ben Weber, right. all four of whom I'm really excited right. to work with and who have just brought really good energy yeah. to the council so far. And so I think we have a new body with different personalities, and I think that's going to help you know we're still gonna have our politics you know people say if you wanted it to be kumbaya and roses all the time you should enjoy in the convent I checked with my aunt who is a nun and it is not on fact all roses there either right there is politics everywhere and so there's gonna be that we're not that's yeah. the game that we're in but can we do it better yeah, yeah. can we yeah. be more collegial yeah can we work together for the residents of Boston yes can we be in the papers for the work that we do regarding trying to get rid of rodents trying to take care of, of trash trying to deal with the affordable housing crisis mm -hmm. trying to improve our mm -hmm. schools that's what I want to be taking up space in our papers uh, and did you get a you know I don't know commitment might be too strong a word but uh, for those that kind of clash, and some of those people, some of them are gone, some of them are not, some yes, of them are exactly. back. Yes, exactly. A commitment to yeah. uh, tone it down, to be more civil, to be, and don't get me wrong, I, I you know, uh, you want the passion there because that's what makes exactly. uh, that's what makes the city tick. That's what makes the council tick. But uh, you know, some of it was a little bit over the top. I think it'd be fair to say. Uh, yeah, I think we, like you said, we are going to vehemently disagree on some things because we are seven hundred thousand is a lot of people. Yeah. It's a lot of different opinions, and we're going to feel differently about what about a number of issues about what is the best way to bring about change in our in our school system, or what is the best way to address bike lanes and and, <laughs> and bus lanes and all of that. We're gonna yeah. disagree, and it's gonna be a spirited disagreement. But that should be 
be about the work and it should be about the politics and not personal. So it's going to be a work in progress. I am the head of the Boston City Council. I help set the agenda. Um, but I am no one's boss, mm -hmm. right? People try to say, oh, the mayor, the mayor is not anyone's boss, and I'm not anyone's boss. Mm -hmm. We are all, our bosses are the people of Boston. We are elected, mm -hmm. duly elected by the people in the city, me by everyone in the city and others by their districts. And our bosses are our voters, mm -hmm. are the residents of the city of Boston who we are accountable to. But I think that there's a lot to be said about building a body where, you know, everyone is breathing a little bit easier, yeah. even as they advocate for the issues that they care most about. And it's a work in progress. Yeah. There's still some people, you know, some interesting policy personalities yeah. on the council, and <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work together to figure it out. I'm, I'm optimistic, if nothing yeah. else. I hear so. you. That's, uh, that's good to hear. Um, so tell us, what's, uh, what, what are your goals for the year? What will you, how will you consider your uh, leadership, uh, at least in the first year of success, uh, uh, a year from now, what what are your goals? Yeah, I find those I find those questions to be so um, <laughs> uh, they're humbling because yeah. it's 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 trying to see say you know what what do I want the legacy to be of my yeah, leadership yeah. and of even my time on the council and I think it's just one of forward progress one of being open and you asked why did my colleagues have faith in me I I, I listen to everyone and my mm. goal is. Sometimes, you know, as, as we move the city forward, I'm not going to be able to make everyone 100% happy. Mm -hmm. But how do I make someone, make everyone feel like they won a little something, mm -hmm. right? That you walked out feeling like, okay, I can bring something back to my voters and to my constituents. And so hopefully it's, you know, everyone, even when, when we have disagreements, that you at least know my thought process, that you know how I approach decision, that I'm very deliberate. I, I turn my lawyer brain on. Mm -hmm. I try to weigh pros and cons, try to think about what's best, mm -hmm. what could lead to a slippery slope. And the work of justice, right? We are a city of uh, a, a lot of inequality, especially in our black and brown communities. So I want to make sure I will consider it a success if a year from now we still have at the root of everything we do a focus on justice and equity. Mm -hmm. If we are responding to people's problems, like, you know, my <laughs> I had a cousin text me today who said, we need more uh, trash cans in our parks, right? We need more lighting in our parks. And so making sure that we are getting back to constituents and to residents on the everyday issues that they bring to mm -hmm. my attention and that we are working together, maybe not agreeing on everything, but mm -hmm. that a year from now we're still going out and grabbing lunch together. So maybe some lofty goals, but also some uh, Some potholes. We're city, bolts, we're city councilors <laughs> after all. Potholes and, 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 and they're, signs they're, they're and stop signs. They're, That's what we do. They're uh, popping up all over yes. uh, as we see. Uh, uh, and, and how would your goals, uh, if if at all, be different than uh, Mayor Wu's, because she talked about uh, uh, you know justice agenda as well, and uh, you know not just yours but the council in general. Now the council has some powers uh, that in the past they didn't have, certainly around uh, budgeting, and uh, so it gives you some additional leverage in terms of uh, working with the administration. But uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I did miss the your swearing in in the state of the city this year, but. How are your uh, goals different than Mayor Wu's, if at all? Well, I would like to say on, on a macro level, all of our goal, our, our main objective, everyone's main objective is the same. It's to yeah. make a better Boston, yeah. to build a better city. You know, I applaud the mayor for her bold vision for our city that really centers how we are addressing the housing crisis, how we are making sure that contracts are able to go to more people of color and those who have been excluded from wealth building from getting contracts with the city. Um, I think this year we're going to really focus on education and seeing what we can do to ensure that every student who enters Boston Public School 
schools believes that the world is really their oyster, that the sky is the limit. We are, you know, there are good stories coming out of Boston Public Schools that we don't do a good job highlighting. But we also need to do more work to make sure that all of our students um, are able to graduate and go off either to college or go to a trade or enter an apprenticeship mm -hmm. program or start their own business that we're giving them the tools to succeed regardless of their zip code. And I think we as a city council, there are gonna be a lot of ways where we have places where we agree with the mayor and her vision and our bold vision for the city. And there are gonna be times where we disagree mm -hmm. and where we're going to really lean into our role of accountability mm -hmm. as being a separate branch of government, the legislative mm -hmm. body that passes laws yeah. and, 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 and creates the template for our city. And you've been, uh, first of all, you know, uh, colleague, a, a strong supporter of hers, but uh, when you do differ are, as the leader of the council, are you ready and willing to butt heads with uh, Mayor Wu? And it's already it's already happened. Yeah. It, it happened when, you know, I was in my first term and yeah. I was uh, the vice chair and but had to step in as chair of the government operations committee and there were some disagreements there and, you know, we forged forward and we're going to have disagreements. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how there is no one who I agree with 100% yeah. on issues of policy. Uh -huh. And there's going to be some give and take. Sometimes I'll agree to, you know, I'm like, even though I wanted something to look at a little bit different, mm -hmm. I'll agree. Like the home rule petition for uh, rent stabilization, I didn't agree with everything in it, but I, mm -hmm. I understand that sometimes the role of politics and the role of government is this word that has sometimes become a dirty mm -hmm. word, but it is yeah. compromise. Yeah. Yeah. And it is figuring out, like, how do we each give and take a little bit for the better of for for, for the betterment of this city. Well, uh, you know, lots uh, on the agenda. Of course, uh, I just uh, did watch the uh, the governor's state of the uh, Commonwealth. Uh, were you there? I, I, I wasn't there, but I was at a watch party yeah, at yeah. UMass Boston, now, um, at the UMass Boston Club. Were you encouraged by talking about housing? Because I know it's just, you know, it's just a critical issue for the city. Every, a lot of people being priced out here. and. Uh, were you encouraged by what she had to say around uh, housing? And I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by her, uh, the governor, uplifting. And I and I told her this after when I saw her after the speech that how she uplifted uh, what we need to be getting more more serious about the MBTA communities uh, bill that really uh, encourages and, and requires our our, our cities and towns mm -hmm. to invest in transit oriented housing. I'm encouraged by the attention to detail to. Um, what we're going to need, uh, the, the you know, there's a omnibus housing bill that she's uh, putting forward, and there, are, of course, there's some some some. Oh, there's always more that I'd like to see, especially as someone sure. started my career representing yeah. families facing yeah. eviction and foreclosure. Yeah. We need to be pulling every lever as hard as we can. Yeah to build more housing. Um, so the real estate transfer fee, I'd like to see that go forward. I'd like to see us go forward with TOPA, the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which would allow tenants to work with nonprofits and community land trusts to buy back buildings. I'd love to see the right to counsel go forward statewide because we know, and I know from my own experience, that tenants fare better in housing court when they have counsel and representation. Mm -hmm. So the bill has some of those, and I think that's a, it's a great starting point for the deep work that we need to do to ensure housing as a human right here in the city and in the Commonwealth. Now, you know, the flip side of that is, uh, <coughs> of course, they're saying that uh, revenues this year, and I, not just uh, the governor, you know, the uh, legislature said uh, revenues could be down uh, maybe as much as a billion dollars less than they uh, we're hoping for, and uh, that could affect, among others, uh, uh, cities and towns and what they uh, receive. Uh, are you ready for uh, a round of, well, I don't know if I'd call it uh, budget cuts, but to keep your uh, 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 expectations in check uh, in terms of what uh, 
uh, you might be able to do in terms of having the funding to do this coming year? You know, I think we'll cross that bridge yeah. when we get there. I do believe in the governor's leadership and in her ability to you know, think about what's best for the Commonwealth. I also know that we do a really good job as a Commonwealth with our reserves and that there's a good amount of, uh, there's a, yeah, a rainy a day fund, in, right? Yeah, but yeah. we have a very healthy rainy day fund. And of course, you never want to be tapping into that unnecessarily. But Boston, as a center of the Commonwealth's economy, we contribute so much to the Commonwealth. And so I'm, um, I believe that they will mm -hmm. uh, respect that, how much Boston gives in mm -hmm. and will return a Boston's um, um, just due. I, you know, think that there are times where sometimes we want to do a lot, but we do have to make sure that we are being fiscally responsible. But we as a city, we have a AAA bond rating that shows the strength of the health of our economy mm -hmm. here in the city of Boston as a city and a commonwealth of meds and ads. We have a pretty strong and stable economy. And so even we're looking at where we need to maybe tighten our belt a little bit. I, I really hope that it's not done on the backs of regular people, mm -hmm. working class residents, black and brown communities who are too often, we often go to to you know those who are the most marginalized mm -hmm. when we're thinking about those cuts. And we gotta make sure that we are keeping them at the center and really making a holistic look. You know, look at, are, are there are there repayments that we can be less aggressive with paying back because we are tightening our belts? Mm -hmm. And so, do we, you know, repay re, repay at a slower scale, at a at a at a slower pace, so that we can make sure that all of our programs for our young people, for our elderly, um, are properly um, uh, are funded? And I mm -hmm. believe that that, that that those are the sorts of decisions you have to make. Well, and it's not, of course, not all about uh, money. Uh, you know, uh, the council, the mayor, sent up a rent stabilization bill, rent control, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, last year, and it didn't seem to go anywhere. But uh, uh, do you think, uh, what's your uh, thoughts on that? Is there a chance that you might see something like that still come out of the legislature? You got some heavy hitters up there on the, on the Hill from Boston, including the House Ways and Means chairman, the, House Majority Leader, some others, you know, yes, you're yes. not going to name them yes. all, but uh, some hope there that uh, something may still come out. Uh, I'd love to see something come out because I think when we look at housing and we look at the issues that are before us, it is not one thing that is going to solve it. There are all these important pieces to solving the MBTA communities, the real estate transfer fee. Um, working in partnership with community land trusts, giving out, working with the federal government to build more housing, mm -hmm. low-income housing tax credits, all of that, and rent stabilization. So I would love really to see that piece as part of it because people's living wages, the, 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 their, their earned wages, which are often not living wages, are not keeping a pace with 17, 30%, 50% increases in rent. Like my chief of staff, her, she saw her rent grow up 20%. Wow. And our wages, can't keep up to that amount. Right. And so that's why rent stabilization is an important part of it. I think that, I don't know if the energy is there, unfortunately, at the state house to get to move that forward. Mm -hmm. And so we do have to focus on these other pieces, mm -hmm. just what we could be doing on the city level with our city owned land, what we did with deepening affordability and in our inclusionary development uh, policy that now requires uh, private developers not to put set aside just 13%. They now have to set aside 17% mm -hmm for affordable housing, and on top of that, 3% for uh, BHA, for, for voucher holders. Mm -hmm. And that's gonna be a total of 20% set aside for affordable housing. Uh, we have to continue to advocate on Beacon Hill for where we think there are there is mm -hmm. some things that are, uh, there's some energy around this transfer fee, you know, maybe around the rent stabilization. I know that I've testified uh, uh, before the State House on um, 
on our on the real estate transfer fee the, uh, uh, petition that we have there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping and I'm hopeful for the leadership that you said that exists there that are from Boston that we can work with them to um, get what we need here in the city to produce mm -hmm. more of that housing and make sure that the housing that we're producing is affordable. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, and again, uh, talking with uh, the new uh, city council president uh, for the city of Boston, just sworn in on New Year's, uh, Ruthie uh, Louis-Jean is here, and uh, um, the mayor, and you know, I'm assuming you know uh, the council. I don't, although I'm not sure if they formally vote on at all, but the uh, the ideas behind. Uh, expanding uh, vocational education at, at Madison Park, uh, move, perhaps moving uh, John D. O'Brien to, out to West, the former West Roxbury High School, uh, as well as some plans because there's a number of buildings that <laughs> haven't been improved on for some of them almost uh, half a century. Uh, uh, will that go anywhere this year? Do you think there's uh, support for that? Uh, some of those are bigger projects than others. Yeah. There's so much desire and momentum to make Madison Park a vocational, a style, like a top-notch right. vocational school. We have advocacy happening around our Commonwealth to change the admissions process for vocational schools around the Commonwealth to a lottery-based system to make it more equitable because so many people want to get into these schools. Mm -hmm. yes, I certainly. wish we could say the same about Madison Park yeah. where more than I think a, a quarter of the students are administratively assigned to Madison mm -hmm. Park. So we have students who are there who necessarily don't, don't necessarily want to go into a vocation or a trade or want to be there at that type of school. So we have to figure Madison Park out. It is, it is, it is beyond time for us to get this right for our kids. We're talking about pathways to careers that you, you can start out making uh, a six-figure salary if we had high-quality IT tech training happening, high-quality pathways into the trades, and it exists, but we just need to really strengthen that. They need 21st century technology and, 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 and facilities, both at Madison Park and at O'Brien, one thing that we can all agree on, even if you don't agree with where the O'Brien should go, is that O'Brien deserves a world-class engineering facility as a math and science right. school that makes it the beacon of what it is. And I understand the, fully Roxbury feeling like it would lose an asset if it goes to West Roxbury. Yep. And then we have to be worried about transportation. How do you get there if you're coming from Charlestown, mm -hmm. from Brighton, yeah. to go all the way to West Roxbury? You know, I'm encouraged by the mayor stating that it was possibly looking to getting a dedicated commuter rail stop there in West Roxbury. But even then, there would be still some access issues because not everyone would be able to access mm -hmm. that commuter rail stop. So there are still a ways to go on some of these. Yeah. But I think we can all agree that the O'Brien deserves a new building. Right. And Madison Park deserves a high quality uh, voc ed building. And we need to get it right. Our kids are brilliant and they are smart and they are deserving. And we fail them when we, uh, mm -hmm. when we don't work on buildings that affirm their dignity. How, how do you feel, you, from an immigrant family yourself, well, we're all immigrants in, yes. in some ways. Except shape, for our indigenous who, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. But uh, um, uh, how do you feel the city's been dealing with the, you know, the influx of uh, immigrants? Uh, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, many of them are, you know, Haitian. Haitian, yes. Yeah, yeah. And many of them are coming from Haiti, but there are many who are coming from Venezuela, right. from Colombia, right. from Honduras. Cuba. Yes, yeah, Mexico, yeah. everywhere. And, um, you know, it's something that I've been working on and been talking about before I was even in elected yeah, office. Um, and there are really some great organizations like the Immigrant Family Services Institute, FC in Mattapan, that has been working on it. 
we as a city, there's more that we can do to make sure that we are welcoming and, and using all of the resources that are, are at our mm -hmm. disposal um, to make sure that our new arrivals have um, uh, a shelter. And then what they really want to do is work. So I've worked with the governor and the lieutenant governor to make sure that we are connecting our new arrivals to job opportunities and getting people in place uh, for, for, for that type of work. And I always say this, I reject any sort of zero-sum mentality mm -hmm. that says that well, if we're caring for our new arrivals, that means we can't care for those who've been here for four generations. Yeah. I reject that. Yeah. We can walk and chew gum. We can care for those who have just arrived and care for those who've been here for five generations. And we can have a stronger city uh, while we do the both mm -hmm. of those things. Well, uh, the administration and uh, has been under a lot of pressure to you know, make some changes to you know the whole immigration structure whether it's politics or not, it's not clear. It may be uh, a bluff uh, on the part of one party or another, we're not sure, but uh, uh, how, do you think the, uh, the president's uh, doing a good job with that? And uh, do you think, or do you think there's some changes need to be made? You're not there yet, although you may be someday. Uh, we'd be fortunate to have you, I'd say. Uh, but uh, what's your thoughts on that? Because uh, like you said, you know, you've been dealing with these issues for a long time. Immigration as a national issue yep. is a hard issue. Very difficult. It's a hard political issue. We are, even though, as you stated, Joe, we are a country of immigrants, yep. there is still an undercurrent of xenophobia, of so much that makes it really yep. difficult for us yep. to tackle immigration. And some people uh, fanning those flames. Fanning those flames. So it becomes a very bad political football. You know, I will never forget... 2016, looking at some of the exit polls around people's thoughts on immigration and just feeling just despondent because yeah. it's a really hard issue. Yeah. I'd like to see us get yeah. immigration reform in a way that is in a way that is humane and compassionate mm -hmm. and that's understanding that we are a nation of immigrants and that there's so much of our labor. When we're talking about in our economy and labor shortages, mm -hmm. since time immemorial, we have solved those labor shortages with immigration. It's not a new. It's not a new problem. It's not a new equation, um, and we should feel a sense of pride that we have a country that people come to when they are fleeing from harm's way, when they are fleeing from persecution, when they are fleeing, when they are looking for economic opportunity and mobility, when they want to be able to freely express the ideas at their universities and teach. So much repression happening around the world in other countries that we even consider our allies, and so I am. Uh, I, I, I acknowledge that the president has a difficult job when it comes to immigration. Yep. I was saddened when we were continuing Trump-era policies. I, am, I understand why 2024, presidential election year, you, there will be people who will have to tread carefully around the questions of immigration. I get it. I'm in politics. I understand. Yep. And I am saddened by the lives of those who are fleeing harm and fleeing persecution that their lives are reduced to political football. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's a... Incredible, and you know, I think you know, as uh, and this is far from a perfect country, but uh, when you see some of the things going on in other countries, you just uh, your heart goes out to uh, mm -hmm. people what they hope for their families. But uh, we've got just a minute or two left. I, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I have to ask you about this, but no, it's fine. Uh, it's you fine. know, uh, uh, you talked, you were talking about wages keeping up. Uh, of course, the city council voted to. Uh, raise their salaries, and you know, there's been some criticism of that. Of course, that took place in the last term. session, mm -hmm. last, last term, term. Mm -hmm. and taking effect this, uh, uh, you know, 
did you support her? I'm, I'm assuming you do. And uh, how have you dealt with the kind of blowback yeah. from from that? So I, I did support it, and yeah. I um, want you to know that it wasn't just not a package for the raises of city councilors, but for administration who saw uh, increases at a much higher percentage <laughs> than we did. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I I focus my work on the city council, we've been focusing on how do we increase the pay for our lowest paid workers who we require to live in the city of Boston, but who can't afford to live here. Based on, we have people working for our city who are making 32, that, that's just not enough. And we're requiring them to live in the city of Boston. Right. So we got to raise that floor. And my office has been talking yeah. about that from the, from, from the, from the, our beginning. Or change beginning the residency requirement, I guess. Could it's important for us to really think about, to be, to be careful if we have that conversation, because there's something important about trying to build up our city and trying and using the city to do that and requiring that sort of buy-in from people who are working for the city. Uh, but I hear that argument and I hear people who want to have that conversation and I'd be willing to engage in it. Um, and so I think that people's, you know, should be, are, are you, their, your paycheck should reflect the dignity that we have. Yeah. And, and while we raise uh, the salaries of, of city councilors, we, we do that for those who work in public works and those who work at parks. And there's a whole lobbying effort from the city council mm -hmm. to increase the salaries uh, of our municipal police officers who every day are making, ensuring our safety mm -hmm. at city hall. We, and, you know, we, so we have a big sign in my office that says one job should be enough. My father is 74 years old, still working inside of a kitchen at a dorm. Wow. My mom is at a fixed income as on a fixed income after working for 34 years as a nursing assistant at a hospital. They sacrificed so much so that I could be here as a Harvard uh, Law School graduate, an attorney who cares deeply about the city and who puts all of myself into this work. And my days start at six yeah, in the morning yeah. and they end 11 o'clock so at no night. So no apologies uh, for uh and if you look at if you look around the country at other city at other cities, we're the second most expensive city to rent. Yeah. D.C., L.A., San Francisco, all of them. The city yeah. councils are, are are very heftily yeah. have compensated, and so I think this was moving the needle a bit. But everyone, you know, yeah. my my father deserves to be paid more yeah. as he works inside of a kitchen. My yeah. sisters deserve to pay more as they work with those who are intellectually disabled. You know, I think that everyone, our public servants, everyone deserves a living wage. Mm -hmm. And you know, we are not meant to just be workers as people. We are meant to be individuals with families and enjoy life and 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 outside of the nine to five. And I want to make sure that we're able to do that and that one job should be enough not only if you're a city councilor <laughs> but it should be enough if you're working inside of a well, kitchen as I'm well. Well I'm sure you'll have more than enough uh, on your plate in the coming year and the coming two years. Uh, these terms run you know usually two years and uh, congratulations again. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks tonight. for having me. I uh, always enjoy being here. Oh yes and we <laughs> would love having you. Uh, of course uh, Ruthie uh, Louis-Jen is the new Boston City Council President and uh, it's going to be an interesting year coming up. Uh, I'm so happy that you were able to join us. When we come back with more of Talk to the Neighborhoods, well, we'll shift gear. Still, uh, all politics is, is our usual want. Uh, we're talking to local Republican activists about uh, their hopes uh, for the Republican Party in Massachusetts and uh, what's, uh, what does the world look like post-Iowa for... Uh, Republicans, all that and more when we come back. Stay tuned. Michelle Wu delivered the State of the City Address at the MGM Music Hall in Fenway, where she highlighted all that Boston has accomplished in 2023. The world needs the proof that Boston provides, that we can create a community 
where every family finds joy and belonging, that we can kindle a brighter future if we refuse to give up. So every day in Boston, we go to work, chipping away at the challenges that stand in our way. And every day, our progress invites the world to join us in breaking new ground. The Boston City Mayor touched on the many achievements made in the past year, from improvements in the opioid and homeless crises to the increase of green energy efficiency in new buildings, as well as more affordable housing and protection for families from rent increases. As cities everywhere grapple with the opioid crisis and homelessness, Boston has refused to give up on health and stability, person by person. Our teams built relationships at Mass and Cass and added more beds and services citywide. With unprecedented coordination, we delivered unprecedented results. Today, the encampments are gone and hundreds of people are housed and on the path to recovery. Time and again, we have proven the future is ours to shape. And day by day, we're following through on Boston's promise to be a green and growing city for everyone. Last year, I promised to ban fossil fuels in new city buildings, and we did. Already, two new community centers and two libraries in progress will be fossil fuel free. And this year, we will introduce zero net carbon zoning to make Boston the greenest city in the country. I'm excited to announce that this year, we will identify locations for nearly 3,000 new public housing units to build over the next decade, and the federal government will provide more than $100 million a year to maintain them. Across our city, too many families are getting displaced when their apartment buildings are scooped up by private investors. So we're launching a fund to make these buildings permanently affordable, doubling down on our success last year, keeping 114 families in their homes in East Boston. This year, we'll deploy that fund to protect 400 more families citywide. Home is all the little points of light that give tomorrow its glow. It's the place and the people you refuse to give up on. Thank you to all of you for making Boston our home. God bless the city and people of Boston. All right, we're back. We'll talk to the neighborhoods. And, of course, that was uh, Mayor Michelle Wu at the uh, State of the City, the swearing-in, and uh, uh, her hopes for the uh, new year as well. Uh, last segment, talking with the new president of the Boston City Council. So uh, uh, lots going to be happening in the uh, city of Boston in the next year. 
we'll turn our attention now uh, to uh, some national politics, well, state and national politics. And I'm very pleased to have joining me uh, uh, a young lady who uh, has never uh, been shy about voicing her opinion. She's, uh, I should say, uh, one of my colleagues here at BNN. She's the host of uh, Bostonian Rap, a, uh, a radio and television program that airs here on BNN on a regular basis. And uh, she's also a candidate for the Republican State Committee in the 3rd Suffolk District. And we'll talk some about uh, the State Committee and those uh, elections and what's at play there. But I'm pleased to have joining me, Rachel Meiselman, of course, uh, here. Thank you so much for coming in. You and look great. And thank you. Yeah, thank happy you. New Year to you. Happy New Year to yeah, you. Yeah. And, and just let me say, uh, right from the beginning, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity um, because one of the challenges that we face, uh, Republicans, is having people uh, give us a fair shake mm -hmm. and allowing us to uh, talk about our values and talk about what we would like mm -hmm. to do and how we would like to offer an alternative uh, to what so many people right. see and have to experience here in the Bay State. Well, I, and I think that's true. I, I think uh, sometimes uh, those voices get lost, uh, especially here in the city of Boston, which is, you know, votes overwhelmingly Democrat in almost all elections. But that said, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, the city, the state, you know, the country uh, uh, gains by having different voices, uh, civil voices, I should say, but, uh, and I know yours is among them, but, uh, uh, to hear different uh, points of opinion. Although I think, uh, you know, uh, a lot has happened, uh, certainly nationally, and uh, sure. a lot of that is now driven uh, by, a lot of local politics is being driven by national politics. I think that's fair to say, and of course this yeah. being a presidential year, uh, you're really uh, seeing that and feeling that. Uh, um, Let's before we talk about you know the state central committee and your candidacy to uh, mm -hmm. to join that. Uh, let's talk about the presidential race. Uh, sure. Post Iowa, you know uh, Donald Trump, as expected, came out of Iowa. The Iowa caucuses—that's not an election; that's a caucus state, uh, the first in the nation traditionally. Uh, at least it is now. Continues to be for the Republicans, and uh, with a thirty-point margin. He looks on the, as the odds-on favorite, certainly, to become the uh, Republican nominee for president. But sure. uh, uh, so, uh, uh, how are you? Uh, how are you feeling? Uh, how, uh, you know, post Iowa. Uh, you know, uh, and I should add that, of course, New Hampshire is less than a week away, and uh, you know, will be the key turning point. And here, you know, here in Massachusetts, all eyes are on uh, New Hampshire. So. How are you feeling? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a big shock. I think that Trump will comfortably win. I, I you know, I, I even in New Hampshire. I, I think he will. Yeah. I think he will. Uh, they're saying, you know, obviously, you know, I try to stay abreast. Mm -hmm. You know, we're both political creatures, yeah. and and I saw something actually on the way here that said that essentially. Uh, a lot of people are looking at this as a two-person race, mm -hmm. even though Governor DeSantis is still in the right. race to be right. the Republican nominee but for the I president of the United States. But I understand he's pulled a lot of his resources 
well, I don't know if he's pulled them out of New Hampshire, but is directing a lot of his energy now towards South Carolina, which is upcoming the end of Which is supposedly Nikki Haley's, Haley's strong point, you know, or should be, you know, should as be. a former governor. Should be. I, you know, I have to say, Governor DeSantis, I think that as governor, I think that he's done a lot of good things. I don't agree with everything he's said mm -hmm. and done, but I think that uh, he has certainly uh, allowed for a certain measure and level of prosperity in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people kind of look at Florida, rightly or wrongly, because there is that certain measure of prosperity in Florida, they kind of look at it as uh, almost like the new promised land. Hmm. Uh, you know, certainly during uh, the pandemic, uh, Governor DeSantis, his stance differed a lot from governors in, you know, other parts of the country, hmm. um, particularly uh, Democratic governors. I think, again, I think he, on the whole, I think he's a good governor. I think he's a decent governor. But I remember thinking when he entered in the race that he should have waited. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter- Waited four years? Or- Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't believe in this instance it's a matter of wait your turn. Yeah. But everything in life is timing, mm -hmm. everything. And I think that that's particularly true in politics. And I think that there was just more business for him to do mm -hmm. in Florida before making the leap to national right. stage. Might have overplayed his hand, so to speak. Uh, perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Uh, but a lot of people say, and well, you would have thought it might have played well in uh, you know, Iowa. The caucuses are really sure. very conservative. Uh, you know, I think uh, dominated to a certain extent by evangelicals, uh, uh, or so we, we say. I'm originally from the Midwest, and believe me, I can tell you that that is in all likelihood true. You know? okay. so, uh, but that emphasis on cultural issues, did that somehow backfire on DeSantis, or is, is, is just the, uh, the Trump name and reputation just so powerful that it, it didn't matter? I think that there were some missteps mm -hmm. um, with the DeSantis campaign. I think he should have focused on Ron, mm -hmm. he himself, mm -hmm. right, uh, on him himself, uh, rather than, rather, uh, rather than uh, look at Donald Trump. I mean, certainly have him, mm -hmm. you know, don't take his eyes off him, but I think that he should have played up more what he could do mm -hmm. and what his strengths are and what he brings to the table, what's unique about him. I think he came out of the gate thinking, okay, I'm maybe not the front runner, but not the front runner, but I'm, I'm in a very good mm -hmm. uh, position to overtake Trump. Right. And some of the polling did seem to indicate it, and polls but are just They can polls. be just polls sometimes, yeah. but I think he came out of the gate rather bullish, yeah. and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I think that he should have focused more on what he was going to do mm -hmm. based on what he has done mm -hmm. and his vision. And I think that he initially ran his campaign 
on how he would be more Trump than Trump. Yeah. Well, and, and very interesting. Right, how about let's let's talk about the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, uh, Donald Trump. Are you, are you surprised uh, by you know this is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to recite the litany of uh, things he has kind of hanging over him, which in years past might have sunk a president, mm -hmm. uh, a presidential candidacy. But uh, uh, certainly, you know, four pending trials, uh, you name it, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, a lot to take in there. Are you surprised that he has continued to maintain? the support of so many in the Republican Party? I think that Trump is very much a unique figure. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting, this, this run right here, because he can't really call himself an outsider, outsider per se, because, you know, he served as yep, president. Yeah. But what's interesting about Trump is that he is still, I think, retained um, the essence of who he is, and what made him so attractive. Mm -hmm. I think for a long time people felt that there was so much that they couldn't say. There was so much that they couldn't do. And to have someone just come in and just say, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. You're stupid. That doesn't make sense. It was, I think, a collective epiphany, mm -hmm. if you will, because I think a lot of people were just like, wait a minute. I can say, I can't believe I haven't been saying what I think all these years. Yeah, that is stupid, and I don't like that. And, you know, you're not going to make me change my mind. Or, you know, it, people have their voices back. And I think that the efforts of some people to try to make us more tolerant under the guise of making us more tolerant. I think that a lot of people felt stifled. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people felt like they no longer had a voice. And Trump appears, and I think a lot of people, you know, they jumped on his back. And they said, well, if he can do it, then I can too. Mm -hmm. Of course, some people suggest, and I'm playing devil's Please. advocate here, that. Uh, that he's empowered the haters, that it's kind of uh, unleashed this kind of torrent of, um, some would say, you know, sexists, racists, sure. uh, you know, take your pick. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, and, and as a woman and a woman of color, uh, how does that make you feel? And, and uh, how do you deal with that? I, if I recall correctly, you are a Trump supporter. Right? I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile that? Well, I mean, you know, it, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's uh, all true or any, you know, but uh, how do you deal with that? I think that the other supporters to one side. Uh, you know, I, I consider myself so. Regardless of the candidate, I'm supporting. Mm -hmm. I don't do it because X amount of people are supporting the candidate. I don't do it because it's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. I do it because it's coming from a place of conviction. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things that Trump said that spoke to me. 
and I'm always happy to so kind Chaz, of tell, to help us because I, you know, I and this is for me, if not for our viewers, because I, 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 you know, I, I wonder about this. You know, sure. I, I keep saying, uh, uh, who are those people? And I don't think people fully understand. And, and I appreciate that. I, you know, there are a lot of people who've questioned my intelligence. Um, Not me. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. But uh, keep going. Um, there are a lot of people who question my intelligence. I actually had someone say to me, "Well, can we have an intelligent conversation?" And you know, I had to bite my tongue, but I really felt like saying, "Well, if that's a question that you need to put to me, then we really don't need to be talking." Mm -hmm. um, so I think that with Trump, you know, to kind of jump back to the point I made that so many people felt stifled. Mm -hmm. Yourself included? No. <laughs> no, because I always just... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but a lot of people felt stifled, and some of those people were good, and some of those people weren't so good, yeah. weren't so nice. And I think that when you have a climate then where people are kind of waking up to the idea, concept, well, yeah, we do have freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. What have we been doing? Uh, I think that a lot of people are going to just really let loose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately that's taken, you know, I've seen it take the form of race to the bottom, except there's no bottom in sight. Right. Uh, you know, the louder, the more disgusting, the more morally repugnant, mm -hmm. intellectually repugnant, the better. You know, because it's, it's taken on a life of its own that respectfully, I'm going to say, is completely independent of Trump. It's this idea that uh, I can say whatever I want, mm -hmm. and I'm based, and you can't tell me anything, and cry more, and, you know, and all of these, you know, catchphrases, and it's just this attitude, and it's almost, you kind of look at it from like a clinical position and you say, a clinical stance, and you say, well, this seems really um, almost uh, like a defense, mm -hmm. a defense mechanism, yep. because again, people yep. had been told for so long what they can say yeah. and do. What is, what is it for you that really sure. made you decide that despite all the warts, and I might, you know, I'm, I'm being kind there, uh, uh, that uh, uh, Donald Trump has, Sure. And you know, he's not alone, many politicians, although he is unique. <laughs> he is unique. He is unique. Well, you know, what was it for you that, uh, uh, you know, because I also want to ask you about your candidacy, that sure, made, sure. made you decide to uh, uh, continue supporting him? So I'll try to, you know, answer all that and, and you know, be concise. Um, you know, and let me just preface it by saying, you know, that there are candidates, um, you know, at every level of government, throughout the nation, throughout the state, throughout, you know, throughout the city, throughout mm -hmm. the state, throughout the nation. And unfortunately, candidates, even if they're great, um, they can always attract mm -hmm. people who aren't so great. That happens right. a lot. Right. There are a lot of candidates, a lot of politicians, right. and some of their supporters aren't so nice. Right. Um, and, and I also want to make clear that there are a lot of Trump supporters who are actually very intelligent. Um, they're very hardworking. Um, so, you know, Let's let's consider that. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, we have those that, quite frankly, um, they don't do themselves mm -hmm. any favors. Mm -hmm. Forget about Trump; they don't do themselves yeah. any favors. But the reason why I support Trump is because 
I liked a lot of his foreign policy. So, mm -hmm. for, uh, for instance, when he was first running uh, for office, um, you know, kind of the uh, America First uh, type. Uh... Right, but for me, America First doesn't mean um, that doesn't translate into being xenophobic. It doesn't mean, translate into being exclusionary. Mm -hmm. um, that's not who I am. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm about, mm -hmm. and I'll well, never well, that's support. That's what I mean. I, I'm kind of. Uh... Kind of interesting. Listen, we've got just a, a minute or two left. I, I want to make sure I ask you. So you're running for sure. state central committee woman from the third mm -hmm. Suffolk That's district. Right. Uh, and when is that election? Sure. So that is on March 5th of this yeah. year. So, so it's coming at, up. Right? So actually, when you when you vote on, for on president, Super, Super Tuesday, Super same, Tuesday, same day. And it's the third Suffolk yeah. district, and it includes uh, all of Revere, Winthrop, and parts of Boston. Uh -huh. So East Boston, yeah. the North End, West End, uh, the Wharf District, yeah. specifically the wa uh, the waterfront, yeah. uh, parts of yeah. downtown Boston. Um, then you also have Back Bay and Beacon Hill and parts of Fenway. Yeah. And let me just say really quickly that the state committee races are much more important than people think because they um, connect people, the everyday person, to party leadership. Uh -huh. They help uh, the party leadership build the party. Uh -huh. yeah. They help raise funds. They help make sure that the candidates are outfitted right. as they should be. And are you running because you don't think the current leadership and the current committee is doing a good job, or why Why are you running? Uh, respectfully, um, I do think that uh, actually the, the incumbent, she's not running for re-election. So it's an open so, seat. So it's an open seat. seat. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I would say respectfully that I'm glad that the current uh, state committee woman that she stepped up. Um, but we, we in Suffolk County, we in a blue state, uh, we are the bluest of the counties. Yes, we are. Yeah. And in Suffolk County, uh, let me tell viewers that we are under five percent. So under five percent uh, of uh, voters are registered right. Republican. So that tells me right there that we need to change course. We need to be uh, aggressive, but not lacking in civility. Yeah. But we need to have an approach that's very strategic and committed mm -hmm. and ongoing. Right. So you're on the ballot uh, yes. again. Uh, large parts of the downtown and, and uh, East yeah, Boston. Yeah, East Boston, and the thing. North End. Rachel Meiselman. Yep. Back Bay, Beacon Hill, yeah, West End, And so just Fred Republicans <laughs> can vote in, in that race? I'm glad you asked that. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, independents, so um, they're they can, unenrolled, they yeah, unenrolled, unenrolled voters, but what they have to do is they have to ask for the Republican right, right, ballot. Yeah. Well, again, unfortunately, we're out of time. I love uh, talking uh, politics with my colleague, Rachel Meiselman. Her, uh, <laughs> her show on uh, BNN is uh, Bostonian Rap. It's also on our sister station, WBCA-FM 102.9. Tune in if you can. And if you're in her district, give her a look. I, I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. We need us. something different. All right. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're out of time for tonight. We'll be back next week at the same time. Till then, for the entire staff and crew here at BNN, have a pleasant evening. Happy New Year. Good night.
The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.